Uh, yeah, good morning. I turned my mic on a little bit too fast. You got to hear a two-syllable solo. Hey, we are so glad that you are with us today. I just got to tell you something. I just shared with Trey. And I said, Trey, you nailed it today on the songs because you're probably going, what's up with the cross? <laughs> what's up with the cross? It's, it's everything. It's just everything. And uh, it's smack dab right in the middle of Christmas. Well, we're in week number three um, of our series, uh, C4 Explosive Joy. And I've explained to you every week that C4 is a type of explosive that the military uses. But it means something special to us. In other words, there are four C's um, that we're looking at that results in explosive joy. And we see it in the cradle, and we talked about that the first week, um, how the importance of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the virgin birth, Jesus becomes an ordinary man. He could never be the Savior of the world. He was virgin born, and he became the God-man, 100% God, and yet 100% man. So that's the cradle. And then we got the crook, which is the shepherd's crook. And it was amazing. We discovered how shepherds have just played a huge role. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament where we land in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, the psalmist said. I have everything I need. And the shepherd is always such an important part. And when David thought about God, he thought about him meeting all the needs. And then we fast forwarded up into Christmas night and the shepherds were chosen. They were lowest of the low. And yet they were chosen to hear the message firsthand um, from the angels. And then ultimately we ended up with grown up Jesus. And grown up Jesus said, hey, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life uh, for the sheep. It's just incredible the way shepherds have played such an important part um, in our Christmas story. But today we end up with the cross. And you might go, okay, I got the cradle and I got the shepherd's crook, but what's up with this cross thing? But like I say, you know, at the center of Christmas is the cross. At the center of Christmas is the cross. cross the cross is not an addition to Christmas. It's what Christmas really is all about. So we're excited today to help you understand really how just how Christmas um, plays, how the cross plays such a big part of the Christmas story. Now, Judy asked me, when I first came up with this idea of the series C4, Explosive Joy, I told her what we we're going to kind of be doing. She's my sounding board. And um, when I talked about the cross and that close to Christmas, she goes, is it sad? I said, well, I guess it depends on your perspective. You know, I know the cross was a very hard thing, um, but it's a beautiful thing also. But anyway, so, you know, that's where we left it. And then this week when I mentioned again, so what are you preaching on again this week? I said, still on the cross, you know, still on the cross. And she goes, is it sad? <laughs> yeah, I said, I don't think so, Judy, because, and I want to show you tonight or today that the cross it's not sad. It's hard. It's hard, but it is not sad. Because of the cross, we had the forgiveness of our, our sins, and that changes everything. So our starting point says this. The first Christmas was filled with wonder and mystery. You know, if you think about the wonder part, okay, how that, you know, Mary and Joseph, I, th- I just love this. You know, God does all these cool things. You know, he made a prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And so how do you get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem? Well, that's easy. You nod, you, you, know, you kind of push and, and prod the emperor, Caesar Augustus, to have a census. And every head of the household has to go to their hometown. And, and in Joseph's case, that was Bethlehem. And so they have to go to Bethlehem. That's how God pulled it off. And it's just a wonder, the whole deal, how they traveled 80, 80 or 90 miles on the back of a donkey. 
How crazy was that? And her eight and a half months pregnant. You know, think about that. You know, it's just amazing, all of that wonder. But then there's also the mystery. There's the mystery of Christmas. Um, you know, we're so wrapped up in our traditions, which I dearly love, and all the symbolism we have today, which I dearly love. But it's dangerous, and we must not lose really what Christmas is all about. And we see what Christmas is all about in the pale shadows. Pale shadows. Now, I did not intentionally draw this from Charles Dickens' uh, story about the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, but it kind of lined up that way. I didn't really realize it until I was studying it, but there are pale shadows. Now, now think with me, kind of imagine with me, um, and Brent did a great job last week. I hope you caught it and you grabbed it. You know, we wanted, in our Western world, we usually have Jesus in a wooden stable, okay, with lots of fresh, dry hay around, you know, and Everybody standing around singing Kumbaya and all of that. But it really was nothing like that. Um, almost all theologians agree that most likely Jesus was born in a cave. So just imagine a cold, uh, dark, dank cave. That's where they would keep their animals at night. It probably wasn't um, a nice, comfortable wooden creche like this. It probably was a stone feeding trough because, again, that's what they would use. And so, so here's this dark, dank cave, all right? And there's probably maybe, maybe, maybe a couple of um, oil lamps or wax candles of some sort that would give a little bit of light. But in that little light, and as it flickered, it would cast all these pale shadows around the room. And uh, in in symbolism, man, those shadows mean a whole lot. We see the pale shadow of the past, of the past. You know, Jesus' death and, and, and birth were all wrapped in prophecy. And, you know, we all, we just, lo- don't we love Isaiah, you know? You know, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Oh, we all like that so much, you know? And, and then we got, and he shall be called Wonderful and Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we like that. But then we go, that voice from the past, Looking forward to not the first Christmas, but Easter. You know, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows. Not not anyone that we would desire. In fact, we turned our back on him. And that's the shadow. Even though it's from the past, written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, we see this shadow of the cross that shines or, or casts its shadow over the manger and into the life and, of course, the ultimate death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that pale shadow of the past. And then there is the present, which I already talked about, the, the, the harsh and hard surroundings. Do you understand there was no family there? You know, when, when you have babies, mom's there, and, you know, it's all just cool, and we all ooh and ah and coo and stuff. There was none of that. It was her and Joseph, as far as we know. And again, it was such a hostile environment to bring a baby into. So that was the shadows of the present. And by the way, remember what Jesus said, the foxes have place to lay their heads, so that man has no place. He was going to be a, a poor man all of his life. And a life filled with harshness and difficulty. But then we've got this future thing. And the future thing is, in fact, the cross. That, that, you know, the cross is looming there. 
the shadow. Did, you know, several slides in the video, if you'll notice, showed a cross, uh, with the shadow of the cross on, on, the, um, on the cradle. And that was so, so, so um, intentional. And I want you to understand today, the big, there are two big takeaways I want you to take away today. Number one is the sovereignty of God. That really applies to your life. You need to understand that God's got this, that God is in control of our lives. You, I, want you to, I want you to get that. But I also want you to see the importance of the cross. And, and I'm glad to tell Judy today, I, I thought about it, thought, nope, there's just no way um, that that's sad even two weeks um, before Christmas. John MacArthur um, had a quote that's really just awesome, you know, and he explains what I'm trying to say very, very well. He said, you know, the shadow of the cross looms over the manger. So again, can you imagine that, that stone crash? And, and here is a shadow cast over and looms over. Hey, 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 here's the word. It dominates the scene. It dominates. It's not a little itty bitty shadow in the corner. It dominates the scene there of the Christmas crash. You know, it looms over that. And then look what he says. Look what he says. When you understand that, you understand Christmas. Because again, salt, and again, as much as I love all the traditional stuff that we do, okay, if we don't see the cross at Christmas, then again, we miss it. We don't understand it. We totally miss what he's trying to do. Uh, Billy Graham, I think, came up with even a better quote that says it all. You know, Billy Graham said, the very purpose of Christ coming into the world. In other words, the purpose of Christmas. The purpose of Christmas. It wasn't so we could get together as families or put up trees or have all the cool music or all the food. No, no, no. The very purpose of Christ coming to the world was that he might offer up his life as a sacrifice for the sins of men. The reason we have Christmas is so we could have the cross. The reason we have Christmas is so we could have the cross. And without the virgin birth Christmas and the cross, we would be eternally lost. This is a big, big deal. You know, and the reason, one of the reasons we know it's not sad is because, you know, we often want to think that Jesus was murdered. Um, we want to think that he was harshly a martyr. But you really need to understand, do you see what Billy Graham said? That he might offer up his life as a sacrifice. You know, no one stole the life of Jesus. He laid his life down. Over in John chapter 10 and verse number 18, listen to what, listen to what grown-up Jesus says. Grown-up Jesus says, speaking of his life, no one takes it from me. In fact, may I just be a little bolder and say this? No one could take it from him. He either laid it down or he didn't die. Okay, you just don't, you just don't whoop up on, on God and win. He laid his life down. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I lay it down of myself. I love this. I, every time I read it, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. Wow, how incredible is that? See, he offered his life. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received 
from my Father. How powerful. That puts a different shadow on this Christmas thing that, that Jesus willingly, voluntarily surrendered himself to the cross. So the very purpose of Christ coming up from, uh, into the world was that he might offer himself up as a sacrifice for the sins of men. He came to die. He came, he came, he left heaven's glory, came to earth, full well knowing, amen, that he came to die. He came to die. Didn't catch him off guard. Didn't plan for this, he'd say. Oops, didn't see that one coming. He said, no. He knew it was coming. Listen again, uh, again, the gospel of John. This is John 12, 27. Listen, Jesus again speaking about his death. I guess, I guess he's, you know, somebody's like, well, why don't you call this gill off? What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Should I pray and say, hey, you, know, you know, we pray the weirdest prayers, you know? So, so someone's suggesting, hey, why don't you just tell the Father to call it off? Just tell him, I don't want to do this, okay? What shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Listen, 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 listen. But for this purpose, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. If you were to ask Jesus, if we could interview Jesus today, Jesus, why did you leave all the splendor and wonder of heaven, agree to strap on a baby's body and become a man, baby, why did you do that? He said, to die for you. For this purpose, I have come. He says in John 12, 27, I have come to this hour. And then he says, the crazy, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. So as Billy Graham says, you know, he offered his life up. It was a sacrifice for the sins of man. He came to die. And Billy Graham's right. This is the heart of Christmas. So knowing what we now know from the gospel of John, oh, shall we throw in for God so loved the world? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. To have you throw this John, and this John, and this part of John, and that part of John, I'm glad to report to Judy, it can't be sad. I know it's weird. I always thought weird we call, you know, Good Friday good because of what happened that day. But let me just tell you something. It was great because Jesus willingly paid the price for our sins. Amen. I tell you what, that's good news. You need, if you needed some good news today, you got it. You got it. You got it. So our teaching point says this. This sets us up now. It was eight days after Christmas. So for us, that's going to be Tuesday, two weeks. Okay, it's going to be Tuesday, two weeks. Not the Tuesday after Christmas, the Tuesday later on. It's eight days. It's eight days. Um, the law required that Jesus be presented at the temple to be circumcised. Okay? Mandatory appointment. Can't call in sick. The sign and seal of the covenant God had made with Abraham. So it was mandatory by law, that, by the God's law, that Jesus be circumcised on the eighth day. All right? And again, it was so important because it was a sign and seal that he was under the covenant of Abraham. All right? So that sets us up to what's going to happen now in our gospel story. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 25, the, the first part, the Bible says, all right, this is the important part, one of the important parts. At that time, 
Okay, now if you're a if you got your little pen out and you're and you got a paper Bible, you're gonna circle that. If you got U version, you're gonna highlight it in yellow. Okay? Because here's the deal. God's timing is always perfect. That's a good place for an amen. God's timing. I know we get impatient. We spend too much time in God's waiting room and we get impatient. Okay? The bottom line is God's timing is always perfect. On that particular day, okay, on that particular day, um, the paths of four people are going to meet. We got Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and they're going to intersect with an old guy named Simeon, okay? And at that time, on that day, okay, on that, at that time, their lives intersect. It looked at me. It was not an accident. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't a weird circumstance. It wasn't It was a divine providence of God. And what you need to know is the same God that worked in divine providence in the lives of Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Simeon is working in your life. I don't, we Listen, I don't know why we think we have to believe that the God of the New Testament quit being God. He is still God. Oh, by the way, he still does miracles. He still loves you. And yes, he is working his sovereignty, his sovereignty in your life. Sometimes that's, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. When I got sick last Sunday, I was not planning on being sick today. And I've had to pray it three times this week that I know of, including this morning, that God, you're going to teach me to be content with my broken body because I'm not feeling exactly good. Okay, I want to do my very best for you today. All right? So you know what, though? I figured out my God is sovereign. If God gives me this body to do this job today, yeah, okay. Okay, so you've got to believe in the sovereignty of God. You've got to believe in the timing of God. The sovereignty of God and the timing of God. So at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. Old dude. Old dude. What do we know about him? He was righteous. He, he lived right. He, he lived godly. He lived godly. Um, and he also was, he all, also was devout. So not only did he live right, he was committed right. He was a sold-out believer in Yahweh God, okay? He was in it for the long haul, all right? And he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Now, I think there's something here that we need to make sure and point out. He was eagerly waiting, okay? Now, here's the... and what you, Oh, gosh, I just realized this. You're going to see in just a moment that that he had a promise from God that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Messiah. So when the Messiah shows up, it's time over, and he's eagerly awaiting that anyway. Mm, that's just a thought. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Okay, but anyway, look what, he's wanting, he, look what he wants the Messiah to do, to rescue Israel. So I think we can safely say, I think we can safely say that Simeon was like most Jews. He had in his mind that this was going to be a warrior king. When Messiah came, he was going to be a warrior king, and you know God had a bigger plan to rescue the world. But what Simeon was looking for was someone to rescue Israel. Okay, so he looked for a warrior king to come in and overthrow the bad guys, the Romans, and you'll restore Israel uh, to its rightful place. That's what he was waiting on. And what's cool is that's not what he got. But I'll show you his response, which I think, which I think is pretty pretty cool. All right, so that's our teaching point. You got to remember, Simeon, number one, was a man of faith. 
We should be a people of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Okay? We should be a man of faith. We should be people of God. People of God. We should be, you know, we should be the kind of people that people instantly identify us, not as Baptists, not as people who go to church, not who people who keep the rules, although that's not a bad idea, but rather people of God. And I, I wrote this, and I put patiently waiting. And I'm not sure I should, I should have wrote that because, again, he was eagerly looking for I'm not sure how patient he was. What, what did I, write? I wrote something different down. Um, yeah, eagerly patient. He was eagerly patient. All right? Okay. But then he was being guided by the Spirit of God. So a man of God, a man of faith, a man of God, guided by the Spirit of God. Okay? Waiting for the reception, the, the revealing of the Messiah. So verse number 25, um, the second part tells us this. The Holy Spirit was upon him. That would be a good thing for us. Amen? I think we should say, God, you know, we know if you're a believer, and boy, I'm going to get sidetracked. If, if, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've got to understand the Holy Spirit lives within you. Okay? You know, the Holy Spirit's within you. Okay? Simeon didn't have quite that relationship that we have, all right? But guess what? The Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives, just like in Simeon. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah, okay? This was a promise. It was a promise. And that day, arbitrarily, no, that day the Spirit led him to the temple. It was, it was no accident that that day he was at the temple. It was no insta- accident that place, that time. See, the temple would have been filled with people. He had not, married, he had not met Mary and Joseph. He didn't know who Jesus was. But God did. But God did. And God allows their lives to intersect that day the Spirit led him to the temple. So here's the big news. The big news is Paul believed that the Holy Spirit can help guide and direct our lives. We can do it on our own, but we're not going to do a very good job. Hey, students, you, boy, you nearly need to hear this, okay? you got this future, as much as God gives you of it. You've got this future, and you can try to manage it, or you let God manage it. Could I suggest, as the old guy, that it, I've discovered it works better if we allow God to manage our lives, we allow the Holy Spirit to guide our lives. This is what Paul said. Paul said in Galatians 5, 16. Um, so I say, let, what does that mean? Surrender. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. So surrender to the Holy Spirit, allowing him. You know, the term, have you heard the term filled with the Spirit? To be filled with the Spirit means to be surrendered to the Spirit. Okay, to allow him to do his thing. Okay, so so. I say, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Look at verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Simeon did that. And that allowed God to work in that situation and let their lives um, intersect. All right? It's just awesome. So, verse 27b. Okay. So, when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus... To the Lord, as the law required, a little background knowledge, Simeon was there. Who's surprised? I'm not. I'm not. Listen, wouldn't it be cool if we get to place in our lives 
we're just simply not surprised by God anymore. <laughs> we just, if, you know, just don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. You know, Simeon was there. And look what he did. Now, here's that part I was telling you about. He took the child in his arms and praised God. Now, I think, I think, I think, I think Simeon was expecting this, this warrior king. Okay? When he finally bumps into Jesus and Jesus bumps into him, it's a baby. So you know what happens, right? Yeah. He goes, excuse me. This is not what I was expecting. Where's my war? Where's my, hey, where's my warrior king at? How is this kid going to deliver Israel? He didn't do that, did he? Guess what he did instead? He trusted God. If God wanted the Messiah to be eight pounds, four ounces, and 21 inches long, okay. Okay. He took that child in his arm and he praised God. Even though, ooh, ooh, ooh. Even though it wasn't exactly what he was expecting, didn't look like what he was expecting, didn't sound like he was expecting, and probably couldn't do what he was expecting, he still believed God. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing, in your journey of life, to trust God? Even when it doesn't look like, sound like, taste like, you thought that it might do so. So our teaching point says this. Behold the wonder of divine appointments. Now, I, students, even you're young enough to know about divine appointments. You're going, oh, wow, that was so cool. Well, you know what we call it, don't you? It was a God moment. It was a God moment. We all have them, you know? And I guarantee you, if you stopped and looked at your past, every one of you have moments you go, wow, God just showed up in this really unusual way. I was talking to Judy, you know, the other day, kind of about, about this. And I said, you know, we, we met on a Wednesday night at church. Now, I had never been to her church before. And I, while I went to church every weekend, since I was stationed in Valdosta, I never got rooted in a church on a Wednesday night. So I stayed home. Well, one evening, I was incredibly bored. And Valdosta was a size town. There wasn't a lot to do. So I decided to go to church. So why I went to Faith Baptist Church, I have no clue. I mean, I didn't know anybody. There. Well, I guess we, I knew Rio. But, but again, he had never invited me. So anyway, so I, I go to church on Wednesday night, and I open the side door, and standing over by the piano are five, six young ladies. I'm a young dude in the Air Force. I'm a hog heaven. But see, that's why you ought to go to church. I didn't see the other five. I saw her. I saw her, that her, and called her, had a date the next Tuesday, and 47 years later, here we are. I mean, we, we virtually saw each other every single day from that first Tuesday night. But I thought about this. I didn't tell you that story, just tell you the story. What if she hadn't been at church? What if I'd gone to another church? What if she'd gone to the bathroom? See, I believe, it's my story, I can believe what I want to believe. I believe that God had a plan. It included our lives, mm, our lives being linked together for the purpose of serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have walked together in this ministry thing now for 42 years. 42 years. You know, I was an Air Force sergeant when she met me. And it was about five years later. That I surrender. But what I'm trying to say is, do you see the sovereignty of God? 
Do you see God working in that? Do you see? Behold the wonder of divine appointments. Don't, don't blow it off as a coincidence. Have the faith to believe that God's arranging things in your life because he is. Because he is. Well, Mary and Joseph's obedience combined with Simon's, uh, Simon's, Simeon's discernment results in a fulfillment of a promise and a prophecy. The promise is, hey, you won't die till you see the Messiah. Promise fulfilled. And the prophecy is found in Luke 2.32. There's a bunch of scriptures I had to skip over here because of time. Okay? Um, but in Luke 2.32, he is a light to reveal God to the nations. He's speaking a prophecy over Mary and Joseph uh, concerning Jesus. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And oh my, he was that and even so much, um, so much more. Uh, my teaching point, I actually changed it, but I didn't switch out slide. Because I, here's what I wrote. The light in the manger became the light of the world. And I said, no, no that's not true. He was the light of the world. But from the time he was 8 pounds, 4 ounces, and 21 inches, he was 100% God, 100% man. He was 100% God. He didn't strap on God like when he was 7. Okay, he was. He was the light of the world. And grown up Jesus in John chapter 8, 12, B says this, I am. And you remember the, the Moses thing, you know, who, who, who sent me? Tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. And when you see Jesus using these I am words, that's why they're capitalized. He's saying, as God, as God, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this wonderful prophecy is spoken over Jesus. Truly, he was and is the light of the world. Well, in verse 34 and 35, we get to the part that is a little sad. It says then, Simon blessed them, and then he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. Simeon is saying, when Jesus becomes of age, who he is, is going to cause many to fall. You know, um, 2 Peter um, says this, you know, first, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. So, so Simeon knew that when Jesus was growing up, Jesus was beginning his ministry, okay, some would fall over him. And boy, you don't have to read the gospel much to see that. The temple leaders just couldn't get it. They refused it. They rejected it, okay? But many would rise. Many would come to faith in Jesus Christ and believe exactly who he was. And then Simeon said, he has been sent as a sign from God. But many will oppose him. And here's the sad part. Simeon said, Mary, a sword will pierce your very soul. Simeon's looking forward some 33 years. And he imagines Jesus on the cross. And at the foot of the cross is his mother watching him as he dies. Mary, a sword will pierce your very soul. That's hard. 
That's difficult. When you think about a mother's love, you know, I thought about your friend who lost a 12-year-old son. How difficult that must have been. How difficult. Some of you in this room have lost children. It doesn't have to be a child with someone you love dearly. How difficult that is. But even in that, the whole cross thing led to the whole resurrection thing, which led to the whole eternal life thing, which results in joy. Joy. Because of Jesus' sacrifice and his power to overcome death, we can have hope. That's why, I think, if you want to have the perfect Christmas, you go and have all your traditions. That's cool. Have all that. But if you want to have the perfect Christmas, you need a cradle. Yep. You need a shepherd's crook. But you need a cross. You need a cross. Make sure, again, Trey did such a wonderful job of bringing the cross in today. Because without a cross, Christmas means nothing. With the cross, it means everything. It means everything. Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom was a victim of the Holocaust. Um, she was in a concentration camp, and her sister Betsy died about three or four days before they would be freed. And her testimony rocked the world about her great faith in Jesus Christ. She was a great follower of Christ. And here's her quote. Who can add to Christmas? Now, we've tried, haven't we? I think that's what she had in mind. We've had so much to Christmas that has nothing to do uh, with God. But who can add to Christmas? The perfect motive is that God so loved the world. Remember? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The perfect gift is that he gave his only son John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And she said the only requirement is to believe in him. It's faith. It's faith in him. The result of faith is that you shall have everlasting life. And that's what Christmas is all about. That we can have everlasting life. If you're here today or maybe you're watching on Facebook or maybe you're listening on the radio and you've never come to that conclusion. Oh, you tried church and tried religion and both of them failed you miserably, didn't they? I'm inviting you to know Jesus Christ, the, the God-man, the, the one-of-a-kind man, the one born of a virgin who loved you so much he died for you and was so powerful he came back to life the third day. And now I invite you to have him as part of your life become your life. Become your life. So I'll invite you there. And I want to invite every one of us who are Jesus followers to make sure as we journey now these last, what, eight days till Christmas, let's be sure and remember how important the cross is um, this Christmas. This Christmas. Now next week, we're going to talk about kings and kingdoms, the crown. Kings and kingdoms, the crown. But for today... Let's thank God for the cross. Um, Trey's got, again, the, the perfect uh, um, invitation song for us today. As you sing the words, let them soak into your heart today. 
Um, Brent's going to be standing down front. The altar is open for prayer. If you'd like to come down and pray, um, if there's a decision you need to make, just come on down and tell Brent what that is. If you want to join a church or whatever that might be. Anything we can do to help you today to respond to the word, that's exactly what we want to do. All right, let's pray. Hey, God, thank you so much. Wow, you're good. You're so good. Thank you for the perfect Christmas. And thank you, yes, that includes the shadow of a cross. Thank you for teaching us that today. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you that we can believe that you are in control of our lives. Thank you for that. And thank you that your timing is always perfect. That when we think you're running just a little bit behind or slow, we can know that you're right on time. So have your way um, in our hearts and in our invitation time. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen and amen.